Welcome to this special one-off edition podcast from Nesta. I'm Tris Dyson. I'm here with colleagues from across the organisation who have been reviewing the UK general election manifestos through an innovation lens over the last few weeks. Today, we're going to be talking about what we have found across the main parties, the Liberal Democrats, Labour, Conservatives and also the SNP. The question we've looked at is, to what extent do the main parties commit to creating an inclusive knowledge economy? And how do they grapple with the challenge of changing how it might work? So three of the UK's biggest long-term challenges, low productivity, high inequality, and a declining trust in politics, all have their roots in the way our knowledge economy works. I'd now like to welcome then Ksenia, Tom, Vicky and Madeline. Hello. 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 Okay, we're going to get started. You've each been asked to take a manifesto and to summarise to what extent they talk to an inclusive knowledge economy. And the first manifesto that came out of the gates was the Liberal Democrat manifesto. So we're going to look at that first. Vicky, I think you're going to talk about this. Could you give us a couple of minutes on the knowledge economy findings from the Lib Dem manifesto, please? Absolutely. The Lib Dems begin with their signature policy to stop Brexit because they argue it's damaging for the economy, for rights and for unity. Uh, But they have lots to say about innovation beyond that uh, as well. So on building an inclusive economy, well, actually, uh, their headline commitment is pretty promising. They suggest 3% of GDP ought to be spent on research and development activities. And they really acknowledge that that shouldn't just be going to the existing centres. This shouldn't just be in London, Oxford, Cambridge, where we think about 40% of R&D spending is already locked down. Actually, this should be spread much more equitably around the UK. They really focus in on healthcare and what could be done. So particularly mental health for them. But this is a big theme for Nesta. We know that lots of money can be spent on medicine, but far more could be spent on the social elements of health. On preparing people for the future, a flagship policy, a skills wallet, £10,000 for every person to spend across their lifetime on training. Excellent. OK, and we'll talk a bit about that later. So that's the Lib Dems. But I think Labour as well have committed to this 3% R&D target, haven't they, Madeline? But how are they contributing in their manifesto to the knowledge economy? Yeah, that's right. Labour, like the Lib Dems, have said they want to achieve 3% of a GDP spent on research and development. Overall, their manifesto doesn't focus quite as much on innovation as the Lib Dems. The way they bring it in is by framing it in the terms of one of their flagship policies, the Green Industrial Revolution. So Labour have framed a lot of their economic proposals around the idea of um, transitioning to a net zero carbon economy and they say that this will create a million jobs as well as um, solving problems of climate crisis. One of the things they say they want to do is rewire the economy so it works for everyone. That's really in line with some of the ideas that we put forward in our document on democratising the knowledge economy. They also have a lot of focus, as you might expect, on workers' rights. And some of those are about adapting to a new type of economy where work is more precarious. We'd like to see a bit more in there around rights to retrain and to upskill across the lifetime, because that's one of the things that we talk about quite a lot in our manifesto called Precarious to Prepared. And finally, on democracy, we see very little in the Labour manifesto about this. I think we'll talk more about that in the discussion. Thank you, Madeline. Interesting to hear Labour's uh, thoughts on decentralisation and maybe that means we should go north of the border now and uh, look at the SNP 
manifesto. Um, I think they're being a bit more spendthrifty. Is that right, Tom? Well, the SNP manifesto hits some of the right notes, but ultimately it is a document heavy on rhetoric and, and light on detail. And I think, I think it's important to view it in the context of its overall purpose, and that is really to set out the case and create the conditions for a successful pro-independence referendum um, and potentially also a, a pro-Remain EU referendum too. So what you get is really a proposal, another big pitch for transfer of power from Westminster to Scotland. And throughout the document, that's the golden thread which unites the SNP worldview on uh, how you do improve things north of the border. But if you look at it more from a Nesta perspective and on, on the inclusive knowledge economy, the principles do align with, with our vision for this, but unfortunately it doesn't do a huge amount to detail how that could be achieved. For instance, there's not many new practical ideas on aligning economic prosperity and social justice, and we get little beyond continuity in the current skills and work policy, although obviously those are devolved policy areas in Scotland. Uh, notably, it doesn't say anything about R&D spend, the manifesto is largely silent on issues relating to emerging technologies, digitization, artificial intelligence, and data. So we don't really see anything on future regulations. The manifesto leaves us in the dark about where the SNP are on tech regulation for the backbone of tomorrow's economy, stuff like digital platforms, drones, 5G, nothing really in there about those. And that's a bit of a shame, particularly as there is currently good work underway in Scotland, both in terms of developing a citizen-focused AI strategy and also looking at public engagement around issues of digital ethics. So I think, in summary, they're kind of in the right ballpark, but not quite enough detail for us. Interesting. Thank you, Tom. And I, I guess the um, Conservatives uh, have some agreement when it comes to widening participation in, in innovation, but less agreement maybe on decentralisation, Ksenia. What, what's their uh, take on, um, on the inclusive economy and the knowledge economy? The Conservatives' manifesto is another one that has to be seen in the context in which it's written. And of course, that's the manifesto from the current government. Like others, they're committing to increasing investment in innovation, although that's 2.4%, the OECD average, unlike the 3% looked at by Lib Dems and Labour. And they do talk about increasing public investment in innovation too, which we welcome. One question is uh, what, what that increase looks like. And Boris Johnson talked about doubling the public investment in innovation to potentially um, 18 billion. That figure is not in the manifesto at the moment. The key question is how this money will be spent. And there are two interesting things here. One is that conservatives are focused on specific industries. They're talking about areas where the UK can generate a commanding lead in the industries of the future. That is understandable, but we would have have liked to see uh, more investment or more focus on the societal challenges and how um, innovation can help solve some of the key societal problems. The other one is, as you say, is uh, regional imbalances. There is uh, little to say on that. And of course, Nesta has previously written with our views of how that money could be devolved. Like Lib Dems and Labour, uh, Conservatives do talk about um, preparing people for the future. There is very little about participation in decision making and how the investment in innovation can be spent differently. Thanks very much. So that's the summary of the four manifestos that we've looked at. But what does it all mean? How far do the manifestos go to addressing these questions of inequality, economy and democracy that we've set out for the purposes of our review? So let's have a bit of a conversation now. Who wants to start off? Let's talk about the inclusive economy firstly. Madeline, perhaps you would like to I think the Labour Party had a lot to say on this, yeah? 
Yeah, that's right. I, I suppose, first off, I think it is worth restating that it's really positive to see all the major parties making innovation a priority and committing to increasing public investment in it. So we definitely welcome that. We know, as Ksenia said, that reaching at least 2.4% of GDP will require quite a big injection of, of cash. And we haven't seen that committed to in, in the manifestos yet, even that the, the Conservatives does commit to an increase, but it's not as big as they've said previously. So we'd like a bit more detail there, but I think we should appreciate that that's there. I think we also do see quite a lot of recognition of the need to spread innovation more widely, which is a key tenet in our idea of an inclusive knowledge economy, even though... In some cases, it doesn't go as far as we'd like to see. I think the Labour manifesto is the one that's strongest on ideas of economic democracy, so opening up access to productive resources to more people. So things like the Inclusive Ownership Fund proposal and workers on boards of big companies, really the main policies that go in that direction. But we do see some other nods in some of the other manifestos, the things like cooperatives and social enterprises and so on. So there's a bit of recognition of a kind of broader ownership and broader engagement and giving more people a stake in the economy. I think some of the others have something to say on the boards and ownerships as well. I think Lib Dems have have some of that in their manifesto. Yeah, I think they're up for cooperatives, worker equity, those sort of things. Well, there is a, a bit of a focus on work and how work happens and who participates in work, which is, of course, is very important to the inclusive economy. For me, that is very focused on the rights, and rightly so. All parties talk about workers' rights and how that might be protected. They're offering agencies and government bodies that perhaps could enforce these rights and promote these rights, in particular with labour as well. I guess that is all important, but what it doesn't perhaps talk about is the quality of work. So um, in addition to having uh, rights and having increasing minimum wage, for example, it, it is what happens in work matters and what, how your experience of work allows you to feel included in the economy. And there is little for me in terms of expectations of employers to do something different other than protecting people's minimum levels of pay and uh, perhaps uh, just doing what is required already by law. The SMB also have uh, some very good commitments towards increasing representation for women and minority communities on public and private sector boards as well, which which we should definitely applaud. And I think that's a good move and nice to see it across all of the manifestos. I think one thing that is notable with the SNP one is that the commitment could have gone a bit deeper. So it's not just about representation at the most senior levels. It's also about greater diversity throughout the innovation ecosystem. And I think in future, it'd be nice to see uh, some more positive moves to how we go about that. Should we say something about the spread of money as well? So a few different people. You're right, Tom, the SNP really focused on how to make the case for independence. Plaid Cymru did that in Wales as well in their manifesto, of course. But actually throughout the rest of the manifesto, it's quite hard to pick up a theme often of how money will move out of London and the South East and into other regions. And I'm sure lots of people will have as many people will have been sighing about Labour saying they're going to set up regional government again, as there will have been people celebrating the fact that that was in. Right? How do we actually do this? How do we make it work? Do any of the manifestos give us a sense of what's possible? I think, so Labour's manifesto also mentions establishing regional investment banks, which I think is an interesting proposal and one that we consider in some of our work about trying to make sure you're supporting innovation and, and, and growth in, in all the regions equally. And I think the thinking is that um, it's much easier to do that if you've got an institution located in that area who can get to know the local ecosystem, play some sort of coordinating role. You can do that if you're, you're based in a region and you can't do that if you're based in London, for example. 
So I think the, the sort of institutional lens is quite important. We need to think about what organisations are going to be able to take control and, and spread resources. I think also on, on Labour's manifesto, you can see they've really grasped the nettle with this, this need to redistribute power in the economy more broadly. And so we have workers on boards and employee ownership funds. But when it comes to political power, they seem a little bit less uh, willing to give give yeah, some of that away. Right. And so it's actually, I would say, slightly less pro uh, kind of devolution to local authorities, to sub-regions and to regions than even some of the previous Labour manifestos. Mm. And I think that that's definitely something that's got to be acknowledged and addressed if you are looking at how you genuinely transfer power through to people. And I think a lot of that has to be done through ultimately giving power back to, to local authorities who can then pass it on. I'd really add to that, I think it's really noticeable in all the manifestos and, and particularly in Labour's, how little they have to say about the role of communities, civil society, individuals and so on in, in driving innovation and change. And that seems to be a change over the last few years. So I said there were some mentions of social enterprises and cooperatives. There are, but they're quite actually few and far between. And I think Labour's manifesto and the others have this kind of centralised, quite sort of national view of how, say, innovation will be supported. And it's a bit of a kind of big science perspective rather than something that might be more focused around, say, social innovation or people power, which obviously themes that Nesta really cares a lot about. I think that also relates to the other theme that we raise in our vision for the inclusive knowledge economy, which is preparing people with the skills for the future. And I think the manifestos are less about preparing and more reacting to the likely loss of jobs and uh, the fact that one in five workers in the UK is in occupations that are at risk of decline. So they could be much more proactive in understanding which of these occupations, which of these skills, which of these professions will be required in the future, and then working out how to prepare people for those. This is a national emergency, isn't it? it it's actually surprising that more of the manifestos don't lead with the fact that one in five jobs are going to change. Well, I think they all, the all parties, all three, three main parties acknowledge that we need to do something about jobs and skills. But uh, there are different ways to respond to the emergency and uh, there is something to be done in the short term and some of the proposed injections of cash are to that end, although there is little detail on exactly what it will be used for. I guess for me, it's a lot about prevention and how can we and not recreate the world in which we are today and not have another emergency 10 years down the line. For me, that is about um, using data to understand which occupations will be required in the future and helping people navigate their ways to those occupations. But also it's about thinking structurally, what are the other supporting factors that we've talked about, uh, like childcare, like time off work to train, would support people to adopt this culture of lifelong learning and this idea that you have to be thinking about what skills might be required in the future and act on those as well. But it's not absent, is it? There, there is reference, I think, particularly in the Lib Dem manifesto to a, a skills wallet. There's there's little bits and pieces here and there, I think. Yeah, that's right. And I, I think actually the Lib Dems definitely go furthest on acknowledging that people want personal control over this. So it's one thing to say, well, employers are preparing their employees for the future. It's another to be given £10,000 potentially to have personal agency over what you want to retrain in, where you want to grow your sense, your career, how you want to respond to the jobs of the future. For me, the missed opportunity is connecting that with the investment in growth and sectors. So mm. we are talking about the green economy. We are talking about the need to perhaps do more about the societal challenges. There will be work and jobs in those, but the manifestos don't make connections between those two aspects. Mm. For me, that's surprising. So we've talked about the big crisis of the changing workforce in terms of preparing people for the future. But what about that other possible big crisis, which is the future of our democracy and, and how we adapt to that. Do the parties have anything interesting to say there? 
Well, I think that's right. That, that is, it is a crisis, right? Trust in politicians is at an all-time low. Unbelievably, we now trust politicians, our elected representatives, less than we trust car salespeople, less than we trust estate agents. Genuinely, trust in institutions is a real challenge for this era. And I've sort of lost count of the number of people on Voxbox on TV or on Twitter talking about choosing between the least bad option. I think there's this growing sense that we must do something to reform not only national level politics and how we choose those people who represent us but also get more people involved at a local level and we've long advocated for this position we call it people power meaning inviting people to be engaged in the work of their institutions locally by giving their skills or their time and that's really good for communities it builds social ties it's good for personal agency it's good, obviously, for institutions. They get held to account. But also it's good for shaping innovation policy. And it, it just seems wrong that largely white, largely older, largely privileged, largely men would make all the decisions about where innovation might be needed, all the decisions about where investment might go. And I'm really surprised that more of the manifestos don't talk about sharing power in each of these three domains. I think that's particularly surprising when you consider that at local government level across all of the parties, there's some really exciting stuff happening on those issues. And we've seen local authorities doing some genuinely really innovative stuff on participatory democracy, on transferring power to communities across all of the, the political spectrum. And I think that there was a lot to be learned from, from that. And I think in some ways you've got councils at a kind of more radical end of, uh, of that than you have at, at national level. Interesting that uh, to finish a, a bit on a common theme in terms of what's lacking across all of the manifestos. I wonder if we had any other sort of common themes that we'd like to sort of conclude with that is that is common to all four that we'd like to see more of or that we are in favour of. Maybe I'll look to you, Ksenia. Well, there, there, is a, there is an overarching agreement that we need to invest in education. Mm. So across all the three main parties, we see we see commitments to that. And some of them also recognise uh, the skills that we will be needing in the future and wanting to invest in creativity in particular for young people and uh, developing that in schools. So th that's a definite positive for me. OK. Tom, any final thoughts from you? Uh, I think it's really encouraging. Madeline mentioned it earlier, but they are all taking innovation seriously and they are all addressing the needs of a future economy and society as well as the one we have today. And even if there's perhaps not as much detail as us policy wonks might like to see, I think they are all broadly looking at the right areas and uh, between them they, there's some interesting policy ideas. All very interesting, but I wonder what the party manifestos have to say about the role of digital technology in all of this, Madeline. Well, I think it's noticeable that actually none of the manifestos really get to grips with how technology is changing society and how to make sure that new technology does benefit everyone. The Lib Dems probably come closest with their proposals for ethical world-leading technology, but again, they don't give an awful lot of detail. So, for example, they propose a mechanism to allow the public to share in the profits made by tech companies in the use of their data, but don't really say anything more about what that might be. And we've done a lot more work looking at different models for um, making sure that people can pool their data for the public good, which they don't touch on. I think also Lib Dems are the only party, as far as I can remember, who propose any sort of deliberative, participative mechanisms for helping people to get involved in thinking about the future of technology. But basically, they make one proposal, which is to run a citizens' assembly on looking at the use of 
automated decision making in public services and a one off you know deliberative engagement mechanism on that massive topic is nowhere near enough yeah i i think that they don't really get to grips with the scale of these technologies and what role they're going to play in in the future economy so for instance labor have made a big play for nationalizing the infrastructure of the future economy by uh, taking open reach under national control but it kind of stops there and it doesn't really go much further into how you're going to deal with the dominance of major internet platforms uh, about how you're going to regulate and fix the personal data economy so i think that there is quite a lot more to be dealt with there than we see really in the manifestos and i think that as madeline said the lib dems have at least addressed the issues even if uh, the the sort of policy prescription might not necessarily be be exactly right and i think that what we would rather see, for instance, on the, the personal data side is more about the governance of it and how you might uh, realise the social and public value of data rather than focusing exclusively on the economic or financial value of it. So I think that would have been nice to see more of. There is also a way to look at some of the work and skills challenges that we've talked about through the digital lens. Um, Labour in particular are talking about reforms to careers advice and a much more complete way of uh, providing information, advice and guidance but there's no mention of digital or technology in it. And of course, that, that wouldn't be an answer to all of our problems. But here at Nesta, we've been working on the career tech challenge, thinking in particular how data can contribute to better careers advice and how we can work with online learning to uh, motivate people to keep acquiring new skills. So we've got some ideas here. That's a great way to finish the conversation. Let's hope that whoever gets into office does help further the inclusive economy. So thank you, Madeline, Vicky, Tom, Ksenia for taking part today and to the larger team that's helped contribute to reviewing all of the manifestos. Those reviews are available on the Nesta website so please go to nesta.org.uk and search for general election if you'd like to learn more. That's it really though from the team here today. We hope you found our special innovation flavoured general election podcast interesting and you can get in touch with us in all the usual ways and you can find us on Twitter at Nesta underscore UK. Thanks for listening.